You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're back in Genesis 24 this morning for the second week in a row. And, and it's not because I... I Felt like I need to go back and preach the same message. Uh, this is the longest narrative in the, in the whole book of Genesis, one of the longest in the Old Testament. It, it, for, for one story, 67 verses. So it's a lot to cover in one message. And last week we looked at the first 28 verses, and we saw how Abraham's servant uh, was, did what every one of us should strive to do above, first and foremost, and that is be faithful. If you're a follower, be faithful. And uh, he had traveled, this servant here, and I'm just going to give you a rundown of the text because we won't read through all of it again, but he traveled over about 500 miles, which would have taken a few weeks from Hebron up to Haran uh, to go uh, find a wife for Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham had commissioned his servant to go to, to, the, to Haran, the land of his, his family, uh, to find a wife for Isaac, not, not because um, they were the prettiest up there, but because he didn't want him to find a wife from the Canaanites. And he knew that his family, Abraham's family, were of the line of Seth, and they were, they were blessed of Shem, I should say, and they were blessed of the Lord. And, uh, and Abraham didn't want his son to marry somebody who wouldn't follow God. And so he sent his, his, his servant 500 miles, three weeks away, on a trip through the wilderness. This was not an easy task. But the servant was faithful to it. He traveled these 500 miles or so with 10 camels. And the Bible says that he, was, he went looking for a young lady to be Isaac's wife. So he stopped at a well. And that's a good place to stop if you're looking for a good hardworking wife. Because the ladies would have come to the well maybe once or twice a day. And he thought this is a good place to look. So he comes to the well and he says, I'm looking. Basically, I'm looking for a young lady that will offer me water and then feed my camels. Now, 10 camels, uh, they say, can, it, it can drink maybe up to 20 gallons at a time after a long journey. If you can imagine, that would have probably taken her hours to, feed, to give water to all the camels. And yet she comes out. She's a beautiful young lady. And, and she offers exactly what the servant had been praying for. So he bows to his... Uh, he, well, first, he does a smart thing and he gives her um, jewelry, which that means it's biblical, guys. <laughs> jewelry. And then he bows his head to worship the Lord for God's provision. And meanwhile, Rebecca runs back to tell her family about this mystery man with camels bearing jewelry and gets her brother's Laban's attention. And if you remember anything or know anything about Laban, then you know he is a man of, we might say, low character. And he, he, when he sees the jewelry, he runs to the well to invite the servant into his home. And that's where the story picks up. But rather than read all of it, I just want to read a few verses before we start. Because I want you to notice the commitment of the servant to completing his task. And I really believe that's what the Lord would have us focus on today. The commitment of the servant to complete his task. Let's stand together and we will read a few verses. We'll just pick a few. And this is after the servant goes back to Rebecca's family's home and sits down to eat. In verse 33, it says, actually starting in verse 32, the man came into the house 
And he ungirded his camels and gave straw and provender for the camels and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat, the servant. But he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. And he said, speak on. That's the first thing I want to notice about his resolve to complete his task. If you can get a man to stop eating and start talking, he's committed to his task. Verse 49. Look down in verse 49. He relays the story of, of all that had happened with Rebecca at the well. Look down in verse 49. It says, and now, after the story's been told, and now if ye will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. He comes out and he just says, now listen, here's the story, here's what I'm doing, here's my errand, here's my task, and I think Rebecca's the one, but if she's not the one and you're not willing, just tell me. Just let me know, because if you'll just let me know, then listen, I'm out of here. Because I've got a task to complete, I've got a job to do, and they agree to it. They, they're, they agree to this. They, they, they say, yes, we'll send her. But then I think he, not a mistake, but then he does something that I think adds to the trouble or to, his, to the hindrance in that he showers them with gifts. And suddenly they have second thoughts. Look down at verse 53. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away unto my master, because they've already agreed to it. And her brother Laban and her mother said, oh, Hold on just a minute. Why don't you let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least 10? I mean, they say a few days, a few days to you or me means like three. Let her stay a few days, at the least, you know, like six months. I mean, might as well. No, 10 days. 10 days would be fine. Let her stay 10 days, and after that, she shall go. You know, I think what they're doing is they're hoping that the servant will stick around and that gravy train will keep coming. Because they've gotten jewels, they've gotten riches. They see this man as, as a little bit of a, the golden goose. And they don't, want a, they don't want Rebecca to leave because we know Laban's character. He's a selfie, selfish, greedy, he's a selfie man. Yeah, he would be a selfie man. He's a selfish, greedy man. Look at verse 56. And he said unto them, this is the key, hinder me not. Seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And that really is the key thought I want to look at today. Is a committed follower of God refuses to allow anything to keep him from his task. See, unfortunately, we live in a culture that challenges our level of commitment to the Lord. It makes us question our, le our level of commitment. And actually, if you're committed as a Christian in this culture, you're going to be made fun of. You're going to be looked at like you're crazy. And in order to fight what the culture is telling us, we must create a culture of commitment. And following God all the way, we are too easily hindered from following. And it's time we got committed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. I pray that you help me to convey it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the words of your, your word and help us to see where we need to change. 
God, I thank you for your, this book. I thank you that it's sufficient. I thank you that no matter what we're facing this morning, that you have all the answers we need. Pray that you bless our time together and the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I love it when God's, God works in people's lives. And there's just something special about it. And I, I look around this room and it's full of ordinary people who God has saved from their sin. It's full of people that have been delivered from addictions. It's people that have been restored in a broken relationship. People that have been showered with grace. People that have, have felt unworthy or uh, uh, unqualified. And yet God has used them to make a difference in other people's lives. This room is full of people in whose lives God has done real work. And the first thing that I notice in this passage, we're jumping right in today, is, is there's a response to God's working that I think we could learn from. When God starts to work in our lives, I want to encourage you today to respond with zeal. And I, I love the way that in verse 28 it says that the damsel ran whenever she saw this man and she knew there was something unique and special and maybe even supernatural about his presence at the well. She doesn't just walk, she runs. She runs to her, to her home and, and, and she was excited about what God might be doing. Look at verse 45, it says, And before I had done speaking in my heart, here's the servant conveying the, the story. He says, Behold, Rebecca came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder. He's telling the story and he's saying, um, be, Before I could even speak, before I could get done, Rebecca has a pitcher on her shoulder and she's already doing the work. Yeah, I think Rebecca was a runner. She's one, of those, she's one of those people that everything they do, they're, they're quick about it. They, they, don't, they don't dally. They don't waste time. She's running. She makes haste in verse 46, and she let down her pitcher, it says. And I just want to encourage you. Listen, our response when God starts working is you should respond right away. When God starts working, don't dally. And sometimes I wonder, that's a good word, by the way, dally. Microsoft Word gave me that synonym uh, for delay, and I wanted to use it today. You know, sometimes I wonder if we're so used to the idea that God speaks to us through his word or that he answers our prayer or that he simply just sends a blessing our way that we respond with meh. You know, that's an, that's an emoji um, for, for those of you that don't know, the meh emoji. That your response is just kind of like eh. Well, no, if, if God has ever done anything in your life and you respond with meh, can you imagine that, that level of ingratitude? Yeah, right. You know, that God would today be speaking uh, through his word to our hearts and potentially changing somebody's life should get us excited with zeal. Yeah. We should never respond to the work of a holy God in our life with complacency. Respond with zeal. There's another response that I see that we should take note of in, in when God is working in our lives is that we should recognize the blessings. Look at verse 26, and the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. After he saw that God was working at the well, he bowed his head and worshiped and said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham. Look down at verse 52. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. After they said, yes, we'll send Rebekah, what does he do again? He gets down on his knees and on his face and he worships the Lord again. And has God worked in your life? If he has, the only right response is worship. Amen. 
I mean, respond with zeal, but respond with worship. And I'm just asking you, when's the last time you got on your face to worship God because of how good he's been to you? We can be ungrateful people. Another response to God working is, I, I like the way that he recounts the ways God has worked. He's willing to tell the story. And we're not going to go through all the details again this week, but the servant recounts the whole story for Rebecca's family in verses 35 through 48. And he tells the whole story that we went through last week at the well and how all these things have come together for him. And do you know what you ought to do when God works in your life? You ought to tell somebody about it. Last Sunday night, we got together with the Spillmans and, and, some, and the Spillmans and, and Tim and, and uh, the Shirleys and the Hardys, and we were hanging out, you know. They, we didn't have a plan, but you know what we did while we were hanging out? We started talking about the Lord. We started telling each other our testimonies and how God had done something in our lives and what God had done to take, take the Spillmans over to Ukraine and, and all those stories about the stuff they had, to, they had to eat and stuff like that. Those are fun stories. But you know, I mean, you can have a plan, but to me, the best thing you can do when you get together with God's people is tell each other about the Lord. Now, the Lord has worked in your life, and if you don't do that very often, you should, like this man here, be able to recount the blessings in your life. Let people know that God saved you. Let your church family know when he answers your prayers, and if the Almighty God has done work in your life, how could you keep that a secret? Tell people. Get out there. Tell your neighbors. Tell your friends. Tell your co-workers. And when God works, respond with zeal and recognize the blessings and recount it for other people. And we need this reminder. And, you know, I could stop right here. And really, this is two messages in one. I'm kind of reeled you in. Because I could stop right here. We could say, boy, this is a good message from Genesis chapter 24. You know, respond with zeal and, 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 and uh, recount the ways that God's blessed you and, and, and recognize the blessings. Amen. You know, altar call, I surrender all. But you know, it's, it, I find it easy to respond when God works when things are good. And I find it easy to respond to God in a positive way when there are no hindrances. When there are no hurdles and when there are no obstacles. When God works in our lives, it's easy to respond correctly. But when the obstacles arise... When the hindrances come, that's when it gets a little harder. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've brought a group home from camp and I've got young people and there's a young person who's God really did a work in his life or in her life and we get home and that very first day something's happened at home that week and they get home and they forget all the decisions they've made because there's a hindrance. Or how when somebody starts to work in somebody's life and suddenly either they lose their job or, or their job changes the situation and, and, and suddenly they lose all their momentum because now they're having to work. But Patrick is going through that, aren't you? He, he, he has all this momentum, just gets done with continue the discipleship book and suddenly his work situation changes. And now he's trying to struggle, fight through that. I just want to say um, it was a lot easier when God was just working, but now the hindrances come, Patrick. And now you get to find out how committed you really are. And it's easy to say we're committed when things are going well, but when things get a little bit harder, that's when we can measure how committed we really are. Because, yes, we, there, we should have the right response when God is working, but we should also have the right response when the hindrances come. 
Look at verse 49. And now, if ye will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. He says, I mean business. I'm going to leave if you say no. This is serious to me. Look at verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered. That Laban is, is Rebekah's brother. Bethuel's her dad. It says, it answered and said, this, the thing proceeded from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. So they're saying, you know what they say? If God is doing this, what are we going to have to say about it? We can't change anything. We don't, we don't deny that God has worked these things out. They, in verse 51, it says, Behold, Rebekah is, is before thee. Take her and go. Sounds a little bit harsh. I don't know that I could do that with one of my daughters to a stranger. Hey, take her and go, you know. But <laughs> And let her be thy master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. Like, they sound like they're on board. And they sound like they're ready for this to happen. Uh, it, but then the servant brings silver and gold and clothing into the mix. And he gives it not just to Rebecca, but he gives it to Laban, it says. And he also gives it to Rebecca's mother. And there's, so the Bible principle here, do whatever it takes to make your mother-in-law like you, man. <laughs> you know, I believe this is where the hindrances begin, though. Because now that they know there's wealth involved... Now that they know that there's a resource here, they're not quite as ready for Rebecca to leave. In verse 55, it says, And her brother Laban and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten. After that, she shall go. Suddenly they're backpedaling. Um, but notice his response in verse 56, which is really the focus today. And he said unto them, Hinder me not. Seeing that the Lord hath prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. Hinder me not, let me go. And they say, well, let's ask Rebecca. And I'm thankful Rebecca says, I will go. If I had a brother like Laban, I would go too. <laughs> so what's happening here, though, and just to make the transition, it happens with God's people all the time. And that God is doing work in our lives. He's doing work in your life. And he's working like he did for the servant. He works through your authorities. And his promises are playing out in our lives. And his presence is going before us. And things are coming together. And when these things are happening, it's easy to be committed. It's easy to follow. But it's not so easy when the hindrances pop up. So you have two things working against each other. You've got God's will. And then you have the will of the family here. And the family is saying, relax, stay a while. There's no reason to be a fanatic. There's no reason to, you know, jump ahead and, and just, just go away right now. I mean, stick around, it'll be okay. But the servant, you know what I believe he's remembering? He's remembering Abraham's words back at the beginning of the chapter when Abraham said, promise me you won't take Isaac because if you take Isaac out of the land of promise, he might go and be tempted to stay and never come back. And so the servant is thinking, no, this is happening right now. They're trying to get me to stay. Abraham knew this would happen. He probably knew the family culture. It was his family. He knew it wouldn't be easy to leave. And maybe you have family like that or you know people like that. And you start talking and, you know, you might start right here in the sanctuary. And 10 minutes later, you've walked to the, the glass door. And then 10 minutes later, you're out kind of near the front hallway and 30 minutes later, you're at the foyer, at least, the front lobby, and then you spend 45 minutes in the parking lot, and then you finally get to your cars, and on the way out, you stop and roll down your windows and start talking again. 
That's kind of how it is with some people. You just, I mean, and I, I like those kind of conversations, but this isn't what's happening here. Abraham knew that, that if, if Isaac went, he may not ever come back, and, and he knew the culture of the family. He knew what, what it would be like. He had wisdom, and he tells the servant, uh, it, he may not come back, and the servant is thinking, okay, I can't stick around because I have God's will to do. God's work is, uh, is right here for me to do. And the hindrance is saying, stay 10 days, but commitment to God said, no, leave now. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we all have this choice to make. We either let the culture define how committed we are to God, or we let God's desires define our commitment to God. Amen. You can either let the culture tell you this is good enough when it comes to being committed to God or you can let God's desires tell you it's good enough. See, too many people that call themselves followers allow the culture to tell them what commitment to God looks like. And the culture is saying your commitment to God doesn't require life change. I mean, come on, you don't have to go and change everything. Just fit God into your life where it makes sense. That's what we do. That's what the culture says. The culture is telling us um, there's no reason that following God has to affect who your friends are. There's no reason that following God has to affect what you do on Friday nights. There's no reason that following God has to affect what you listen to or what you watch or what your family does together or what you wear. There's no reason that has to be adjusted just because you follow God. You just give him part of Sunday. The rest of the week is yours. The culture says there's no reason to be that sold out. You're acting like a fanatic. And unfortunately, too many of God's people buy into the culture's definition of what it looks like to follow Christ. And I imagine, and I'm just, just speculating, but if the average 2021 Christian was in this narrative, they would have stayed 10 more days. Because following God in our culture isn't all that important anymore. And our culture is saying, you know, following God is something that you do along with everything else. It's kind of like everything is on equal footing. It's just another, another compartment in your life. It's on the same level as, as softball and it's on the same level as, as, as playing sports and the kids being involved in that. It's on the same level as, as, your, as fixing up your car and it's on the same level, um, you know, of, of whatever it is that you're doing. It's all, the, it's all equal. Just as long as Jesus is there... That's good enough. To use the servant's language these days, too many of God's people are being hindered by the culture. What kind of hindrances are there? Well, this is a culture of comfort. I mean, Rebecca's, I mean, you have to know, Rebecca's family, first, her mother was probably sad to see her go, especially her mom. They didn't want to see her leave. I mean, she's going to go 500 miles away, and they probably would never see her again. You know, you don't just hop on a plane and go visit back then. I mean, it's a hard journey. So there was the comfort of family and that relationship, but there's also the comfort of the benefits they were receiving. They were, they, they were excited about the benefits. They weren't quite as excited about losing Rebecca. Laban led a negotiation to get her to stay, and I believe it's because he wanted more rings and bracelets. He was in it for himself. And listen, that does define how many churchgoers in our culture, they're very excited about the benefits they receive from a church, but they aren't nearly as zealous if it has to cost them something. You know, and I'll just say this. We are, uh, I've had people ask me this. We are a membership church. 
And I think that's a thing that's kind of going by the wayside now. Is now you don't have to commit to anything. But, but I do believe in this culture too many people are, are dating the church. You know, and we value marriage because there's a commitment in marriage. And listen, if you're not a part of a local church, that's God's plan for you to become all you're supposed to be. And maybe stop dating the church and get married. Amen. Commit to it. Amen. Listen, that's, and that's not just about the benefits the church gets from it. I mean, that, it's not really about that. It's that God has a plan for your life and your growth and you becoming through, like Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians 4, to grow up into him and all things is, is, comes through the church. God has the, the best plan for your life is through a local church. I want to encourage you to commit. Get involved. There's gain in following Christ. You do get salvation and you get peace and grace and help and a lot of other things. But you know what? There's also a cost. Too many Christians are more interested in being comfortable than dealing with the costs of discipleship. Like the scribe in Matthew 8, he came in and said, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. You know what Jesus said? He said, hey, the foxes have holes. Well, he didn't say hey, but, you know, the foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You know what he was saying to that scribe? He was saying, are you sure you're ready to follow? Just want you to know, I don't even have a place to sleep tonight. And we're not as ready to follow as we claim. We're far too concerned with padded pews and comfortable temperatures and the best programs. But let me ask you this. If we didn't have AC, would you still come to worship? Because, I mean, we would say, yes, we're committed to God. But honestly, if we decided to save money and not run our air conditioning for over the course of a summer, I wonder what our crowd would look like. There's a lot of places, though, around the world that are worshiping without air conditioning, by the way. American. Like this scribe that came and said, you know, Jesus said, I don't have a place to lay my head. Listen, if following Jesus was going to cost you your house, would you still follow? If it means that you can't buy groceries, if you're a Christian, if it means you can't keep your job, would you still follow? And you know, and sometimes it's easy to say, yes, I would, but be careful to claim we would follow if it gets really hard. If we don't really follow right now, while well, it's pretty easy. Now, I wonder if I say, if, if, if I was to have to choose my life um, uh, or give up my life because I follow Christ, and I might say, yes, I think I would stand in that moment and I would give up my life. I would be willing to die for Christ. But if I can't get up in the morning and read my Bible and pray... We have to be careful that we're not more committed in theory than we are in practice. This is a culture of comfort, and it's convincing us that being a Christian should be comfortable. But Jesus never said that. His whole message to disciples was denial, self-denial. This is a culture of comfort. It's also, it's a culture of competition. If you'll notice, um, we've never had more things vying for our attention. And Rebecca's family was competing with God. And, and the servant said, I'm trying to follow God. They were trying to get in the way. And they turned it into a negotiation. They didn't want to give up their plans for God's. And most of us have had to deal with this when it comes to even family. I, I know families in this church, and we've talked about it before, they've had to tell their family members they can't go to a birthday party if, it's ha if it happens during church. I'm telling you, that's divisive. 
And that, that's not easy for, for people that don't follow the Lord to understand it. Um, but listen, I'm thankful for people in our church that have been willing to take a stand like that. Many of you have had to tell a family when they come to town, they're welcome to come and stay with you. But listen, at 9.45, we're going to be in Sunday school. And at 10.45, we're going to be in church. And at 6 o'clock on Sunday evenings, we're going to be in church. And on Wednesdays at 7. And if, if we've got a bus visitation on Saturday morning, we're going to be there too. That's what we do. Just don't eat all the food in the fridge. You know, the culture is competing with God. In, in our lives, ball games are played on Sundays, and if you go outside, I don't know if it's happening today, but all, most of the summer on Sundays, you go outside and there's over here in the ball fields, there's people playing. Didn't used to be that way. School programs are on Wednesday nights, and, and sports and, and practices and many jobs, they won't bother with you if you tell them you can't work on Sundays. Followers have to decide how committed they're going to be in a culture that's competing with God. You have to decide that when God's desires and culture's desires collide, that God's desires are going to win every time. You have to make that call. And I'm not saying that God comes at the expense of your family or at the expense of important things, because this whole story is about how God used his plans to grow a family to be even more than they ever thought they could be. See, the point is this. If you will put God first, he will bless your family. If you'll put God first, he'll make all these things come about that you never thought he could. And everything else that's in the way, he'll, he'll remove those things and bless you if you will put him first. Amen. But you're going to have to decide who wins in a culture that's competing with comfort and a culture that's competing for, for your attention. What things are competing with your decision to follow, follow Christ? Is it, is it rest? Because I know on Sundays, a day of rest. And it, I mean, it's hard for people that work all week and they, and they work all week. They get one day maybe on a Sunday to rest. I mean, it's hard to convince people that have never done it to give that day to the Lord. Family time, is that competing with your decision to follow Christ? It's recreation. Now, I have a boat. I've got to go use it. You know, I work, school, complacency. These are all things that compete with our decision to follow Christ. Culture of comfort and culture of competition will hinder God's work, but there's a culture that will help it, and that's a culture of commitment. See, verse 56, when he says, he said unto them, hinder me not. We need more Christians saying, hinder me not. Like the servant, or I will go, like Rebecca said. And a culture of commitment means you simply decide that God comes first. Amen. That he's your most important relationship. That attendance to his house is a given. That his plans are more important than yours. And that no matter what, you won't be hindered from following. I'm just asking you this morning, does that describe how seriously you follow the Lord? Because most in here, we would claim to some degree or another, we would claim to be followers, but I think we're also far too comfortable. We're okay with following as long as it doesn't cost too much. You know, Sunday mornings, sure, yes, Sunday mornings, but Sunday nights and Wednesdays, boy, I don't, you know, I mean, we, we and I'm, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse today. I'm just, I'm trying to give you something by, wherewith to measure your commitment by. 
And sometimes it's those practical things. You say, I'm committed, I'm committed, I follow the Lord. But how, how faithful are you to his house? Or we're okay on the sidelines. We let other people do the service and the ministry. And we, we're just too busy to be all in. It's a good measuring stick for how committed we truly are to the Lord. We know we could do more, but committing means we'd have to give up you know, part of our weekend and I don't have much time. Listen, I know those hindrances are real, but if they describe your mentality, then you have probably allowed the culture to define your commitment to Christ rather than God himself. We claim to be followers, but plenty of us have submitted to things that compete with God. And there are so many extracurricular activities in our lives that God gets pushed out. And we don't get up to read our Bibles because Netflix, Netflix keeps us up too late. We don't tell our neighbors about Christ because we fill our time with other activities and we're busy. And because we're maxed out, church ministries are left undone. And God gets squeezed out. And before you say, listen, I'm, I'm okay with this. I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm comfortable letting other things compete. I'm good with this. No, listen, I, don't want, I, don't, I want you to see a truth here that I think is pivotal in convincing us that we ought to be committed. Look at verse 58. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions. And let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. You know, there's something that changed in their thinking. And I imagine what happened is the servant... Okay, speculation. I imagine the servant went to them and said, do you realize what's at stake for Rebecca? If Rebecca will come with me and marry Isaac, the promises that are eternal and eventually end up in the Messiah will come through her. And... I don't know exactly what he might have said to convince them, but it sounds to me that they started thinking differently about this. They said in verse 60, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions. See, listen, a sister is an important relationship, but the mother of thousands of millions is far more significant. See, they came to understand that having a sister is good. But releasing her gave her the opportunity to be a mother to thousands of millions, which is great. And Rebecca's family, they didn't want to let her go because she was their sister, and I get that. But by letting her go, she became the mother of, a na of nations through which the Messiah would come. And here's the parallel. If we let comfort or competition hinder us from following Christ, we will miss out on all God wants to do with our lives. But if we are willing to commit to God, Amen. it allows him to bless our lives in ways we could never make happen on our own. Right. Amen. A sister is a good thing. A mother of nations, that's a great thing. Staying at home made Rebecca a sister, but following God made her the, made her the mother of millions. And you tell me which one is better. A sister was something good. The mother of nations is something great. 
And listen, that's the difference. When you let the culture define your commitment level, it seems like something good. But when you let God define your commitment level, it will bring about something great. Comfort and competition would have made Rebecca a two or three. But letting her go, commitment to God made her a ten. I'm just saying this morning, let God's desires determine your commitment level. I want you to answer these questions. Who deserves it more? The culture or Christ? Because the culture, according to this text, just wants to get something out of you. But God sent Jesus Christ to give something to you. Eternal life. So who deserves it more? The culture or Christ? Who can produce more with your life? The culture or Christ? The culture may drive you to do some good things, but God can transform you to do some great things. The culture may give you the opportunity to be involved in something temporary, but God, committing to God, will give you the opportunity to be involved in something eternal. What will bring you the most satisfaction? Well, the culture may bring you a sense of enjoyment as a sister or a brother or an employee or a citizen. I mean, your role that you get to enjoy, that's great, but God will bring you eternal contentment that you could never have any other way. You know, this past week, Brother Samuel and Brielle and our family, we caravan down to Oklahoma to go to a funeral. And we, we buried a young man, 21 years old, named Kalen Ricketson. He was in our youth group and uh, in, there in Stillwater and one of Brother Samuel's best friends. And that's the third young man from our time in the youth group in Stillwater that we've buried in the last six, less than six months. As a 14-year-old, Kalen, um, I got to pray with him at camp one year when he surrendered his life to be a youth pastor. And he wanted to make a difference in his generation. And I'm telling you, he was all in for the Lord. Uh, when he was 16 years old, uh, December um, I got a phone call. We were in California and Kalen was on the other, other end of it. And he said he had had a test run on his arm. He had a lump in the bone of his arm. And, and they, he called me and told me that it was cancer. First they thought it was benign. And then they came back and said it was malignant. And that, pre, that began a, a journey of almost six years of him dealing with it. He had over 20 surgeries. He went through bouts of chemotherapy and they were trying to remove the cancer they started by uh, removing the part of his arm where it was and replacing the bone but the cancer spread to his wrist so they replaced that part of his arm and and it just kept coming back it came back in his lungs and and chemotherapy they would try that they would try surgery on his lungs and it just kept coming back but one thing that never wavered was his desire to be in the ministry and he, he wanted nothing more than to go to Bible college in Oklahoma City at Heartland Baptist Bible College. He wanted to go and train for the ministry. His senior year in high school, he had some other treatment options, but he knew that Bible college was coming up. And he said, you know what? I would rather do, I'd rather just go ahead and have him take the arm so that I could have six months or so of learning how to function with one arm because when I go to Bible college, I want to be able to do it all. In, even with other treatment options, he, he as, a, as a senior in high school, him and his parents made that decision to just go ahead and take the arm so that he could start learning how to function without it. 
I'm telling you, as I spent this summer with one arm, and it's not easy. But I'm telling you, every day at Heartland, he would tie his tie, and he would tie his shoes, and he didn't complain. You know, they put him in a room with Jacob Madden because they'd grown up together, and, you know, and Jacob does everything you tell him to do. So <laughs> it was a great match. I mean, Jacob helped him a lot. They were roommates. Jacob was an intern here last, last year, uh, 2020. I had talked to Kaylin about coming here and being an intern for the summer with him and Jacob. And he had agreed to it, but then COVID hit. And they, they sent everybody home from school. And, and then he had a very compromised immune system. He had issues with his lungs. And, and him and his parents decided it was better that he didn't come. And I completely understood that. But then the cancer came back. And they tried multiple treatments and nothing worked. And a couple weeks ago, we got word that he was unresponsive. There's a lot of details there, and I, don't, I wasn't there for all of it, but you know, he died on Labor Day this past Monday. Brother Samuel, one of his best friends, and a pallbearer, and I, I was asked to say some words at the service because I was his youth pastor, and it was an incredible funeral. I've never heard singing like that at a funeral before. I mean, it was unbelievable. Here, but here's the thing. Kalen was a teenager when he decided that cancer and one arm wasn't going to hinder him from following God. And he said, I will be committed with one arm. He was committed in spite of hindrances. And God used his life, I believe, and it will see in the end, just like I, I believe the same thing with Dahlia Johnson, that God used her life to impact generations this generation. And I believe God will use Kalen's life. We'll find out someday it was used to impact a generation. And many of us, though, here's Kalen with one arm, tying his shoes and tying ties and still going to Bible college and still giving his life to the Lord. And many of us use hindrances as excuses not to follow God. Right. I'm tired. I, I, I can't commit. I'm busy. I don't want to give that up. I, I enjoy this too much, and I don't know that I could. My family, I don't think they'll understand. No, well, that job is more money. Or I don't have the right personality. And we have all of these reasons not to follow. And yet we have one reason to follow, and that's because Jesus Christ Amen. followed his father to the cross for us. Listen, if you let the culture determine your commitment level, you'll only ever be what you are. But if you let God decide your commitment level, he can, make, he can give you an impact you could never have dreamed of having on your own. So what's your hindrance? What's that one thing around your ankle that's keeping you from following? I can tell you this, whatever is hindering you is far less significant than the difference God wants to make with your life. And it's time to let it go. Hinder me not. I will go. Kaylin said, an arm? That's no hindrance. I'll go. So will you lay aside what's hindering you this morning and just choose to follow God? A culture of commitment could change the world. Disciples truly sold out to God. Imagine the impact. And I'm telling you, it could start right here. 
If we'd be willing to say, hinder me not, I will go. I refuse to let the culture define my commitment to Christ. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.